0: Welcome to Inspiration Rising. My name is David Trotter, and I'm a business growth consultant. I'm passionate about helping business owners just like you rise above your biggest barriers to reach your greatest goals, all without the paralyzing overwhelm, feeling all alone, or wondering what the heck to do next. I'm a former pastor and a serial entrepreneur who's passionate about personal growth because that's what's helped me cultivate peace in my life and empowered me to love my amazing wife, Laura, of 26 years and our two almost grown kids. So if you're all about business, personal growth, and peace in your life, you're in the right place. I'm super glad that you're here. Hey, friends. Welcome back. It is great to have you with me. I hope you're having an incredible day no matter what's going on in your life. You know, we have the opportunity to choose our mental state throughout the day. And so no matter what's going on, the twists and turns, ups and downs of your life, you have the opportunity to see the Well, to see the opportunity in the moment, you have the opportunity to see what is the good that can come out of whatever you're walking through. And so I hope that you will embrace that mindset shift and see, oh, yeah, I can be learning this. Here's what I can be experiencing. Here's the good that's coming out of this day. Isn't it a great day? It's good to be you. It's good to be David Trotter. Now, I've had the privilege recently of being interviewed on numerous podcasts, and I've been sharing about the launch of Rise Up Creatives. If you're not familiar with that, I really would encourage you. It's a great resource to save time and create beautiful, engaging social media content uh, for business owners. You can check it out at riseupcreatives.com, of course. I've been sharing about my crazy journey through life on these podcasts, and of course, some business growth principles along the way. Well, I recently appeared on the all right, you ready for this title? The Badass Soul-Seeking Warrior Podcast Series. Yeah, I'm gonna say that again. The Badass Soul-Seeking Warrior Podcast Series. I mean, that is an incredible podcast name. The host is Annie Fonte, and she is definitely a badass-seeking soul. No, a badass soul-seeking woman. There you go. No, no, I did it wrong again. A badass soul-seeking warrior. Yes, yes. That's it. She's an entrepreneur and she has a passion to help people stop living small. She's the author of the book Keep Your Ass in the Saddle and I absolutely loved my conversation with her. You can learn more about Annie at meetmeatthebarn.com. She'll be appearing on Inspiration Rising in the weeks to come. But I thought you'd enjoy hearing this conversation. And Annie was gracious enough to allow me to share it here on our podcast. So if you enjoy this, will you share it with someone? Will you pull out your phone, screenshot the episode image and say, hey, check this out. Listen to this interview. This is really interesting. Tell people to listen to the Inspiration Rising podcast. And of course, if they don't listen to podcasts, pull out their phone, show them how to download a podcast app, and hit subscribe after you search and find Inspiration Rising. All right, good stuff. Hey, let's jump into this conversation between me and Annie Fonte.
1: Hello, everyone. I am really excited to introduce my podcast guest to you today. His name is David Trotter. Let me tell you a little bit about David. At the age of 25, he helped to start a church that grew to over a thousand members within a year. He then went on to be the founder and the pastor of his own church. He's traveled to India nine times. He started a furniture store, he hit rock bottom, and he took responsibility for that situation and has spent the last 12 years as a business growth consultant and the owner of a six-figure marketing business. He has directed and produced three um, film, or I'm sorry, three uh, feature-length documentaries as well as one scripted feature-length film. He's written nine books. The most recent, which we will talk about today, is called Empowered to Rise. He published that in February of last year. And he is also the host of his own podcast called Inspiration Rising. So David, I have no idea where you found time to squeeze me into your schedule here, but thank you for doing so. I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Thank you, Annie. Thank you. I got tired just listening to yeah. all of that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a lot. You've you've been you've been up to a lot of things in your life. So let's start talking about. I really would love to start with your most recent book. You now, was this one published by a publisher? That I know you've done eight that you self-published.
0: This is actually self-published as well. Yep. Okay. Yeah, All I've right. only had one of my books published by a um, a publisher. And um, yeah, I just have found that it's easier for me to just go through the process and get it out into the world as quick as I'd like. I don't have to wait on other people.
1: I agree with that. Having written one book, I'm I have a long ways to catch up to you, but it is certainly not a... Uh, exercise for the lighthearted it it takes time and energy and effort and I found that the self-publishing route was much more expedient in my situation as well so I can appreciate that so the title of your the full title of your book is called empowered to rise the secret to embracing your true identity uncovering your superpowers and bringing your inspiration to the world so will you take a few minutes and give us a general overview of your book and what inspired you to write this book
0: yeah Well, um, you know, I started the podcast in early 2019, focused primarily on women and female entrepreneurs and leaders and interviewing women. We've had over 180 episodes so far. And I just wanted to communicate to our audience um, my heart for them. And my heart for people to embrace their true identity, so many people that I come across, whether it was when I was in ministry or you know the business consulting now, um, so many people are wrestling with, "Am I enough? You know am I enough to start this business? Am I doing enough to grow the business? Am I loved by the people around me am do I have value? Do I have worth and so, for me, there are three words that are at the beginning of that book that are really important. To Im- for people to embrace, the first is that you're inspired. Uh, then you're enough and you're loved. And the first, inspired, that word in the Latin means to breathe into life. Uh, and there's a sense that the divine, there's a supernatural breathing into life. And so, I utilize that word to not have it feel like an emotion for people. So many times, you go, Oh, Annie, I'm feeling inspired today. I'm going to do a lot. It's like I get that that's an emotion, but the heart of that word is that you have been breathed into life by the divine. And because of that fact, you have tremendous value. Your value doesn't come from what you do. It comes from the fact that you've been created by the divine. And if people can embrace that, then all of a sudden I'm coming from a rock solid foundation from which I can rise up. The second is that you're enough. You're whole and complete. You don't have to do or be anything else to be enough. And if we embrace that as our identity, then we're not trying to start a business or a relationship or have kids or whatever it might be in order to fill that hole of not enoughness, if I embrace that. And then the third part is you're loved. You're loved by the divine. You're loved by the people around you. Your family and friends might not be able to show that perfectly right? Because we're we're imperfect humans, but you are loved. And if we can embrace those three uh, components, inspired enough and loved, now we've got a strong foundation from which to propel our life. Um, and probably one of those three is going to be kind of a, a sticky point, a challenging point for you. Am I valued? Am I enough? Am I loved? You know. But those are the three main questions that I think that we're asking as human beings.
1: I'm going to take a shot here, but I'm guessing that you may not have always felt those three things in your own life.
0: Of course. Yeah, of course not. And really for me, it's the not enoughness, you know, and that's why for the first 10 years of my career in ministry, I really was trying to fill up that hole of not enoughness by um, growing the church larger and larger and and, reaching more people and helping more people. So it's all in a positive, like there's this mixture of motivations. I find that most of us have mixed motivations in everything we do. I don't really think anybody has pure motivations. (laughs) There's always something that's there to help us. And that's okay. Like once we embrace that and go, okay, what part of this is maybe not so healthy, maybe not so good. And so, you know, for me, it, it, it took a rock bottom experience in order to come to grips with, okay, this is really not working for me. There's one thing to intellectually know why I'm doing something, but then to actually come to grips and go, this is just not working for me or anybody else.
1: We'll get to your rock bottom experience in a minute, because especially for this audience, I think that is a valuable story to share, to help them understand that regardless of what's going on in their lives, there's always a way through and around that. We'll talk about that in a second, but I'm curious if you've in the conversations you've had in these 188 podcasts you've done with these beautifully inspiring women and in living your own life what do you find are the common threads or the the reasons that we get to a place in our life where we don't feel like we are enough where we get to a place where we don't feel worthy what Mm -hmm. what are the components that build that feeling or that thought process do you think
0: yeah well um for most of us, it's our home of origin. You know, it's the growing up in a household, whatever, you know, whoever that was with, whether it's parents, grandparents, or foster system or whatever, um, that we are somehow receiving a message that we are not valued enough or loved in some way. You know, I'm a parent, I've got two kids of they're 21 and 18 and, um, you know, I I do my best, but at the same time, I'm going to somehow communicate and they are going to receive a message in some way. It's just almost guaranteed that they're not valued, not enough, or not loved in some form. And um I, I hate knowing that, but that's just part of the parenting relationship. And so as a child, i.e. adult child now, it's my responsibility to to look at how I responded to my parents' behavior. My parents' behavior, I can't change that. Like they did the best they could with the resources they had and they did a great job. But at the same time, I still picked up messages, right? And that's that's for all of us. We pick up those messages. And so we have to take responsibility for how we responded to those messages. Right. I can't be responsible for the message, but I gotta be responsible for how I responded, how I received it, how I then run ran with it myself. The other is, you know, I call it the playground of life. Oftentimes on the physical playground as a kid, there's just so many funky messages that get communicated. You know, my wife's a kindergarten teacher and even in kindergarten, she tells me what the kids say to one another. And it's like, oh my goodness. And she really works hard on creating an environment of positivity and teamwork and a family atmosphere. But ultimately the reason why that child is communicating something negative to a fellow classmate is because they are experiencing that in their home life. They're yes. either seeing it on TV, experiencing it with um, siblings, or their parents have said something. So um, we pick up things in the, on the playground, you know? So ironically, other people's homes of origin are impacting me.
1: Sure.
0: And so it's like, oh, you're too tall, you're too fat, your hair's weird, your eyes are, you know, I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, really? But that sticks with us. And I'd say those are really the two primary ways. The other is culture, culture at large yeah. that communicates, you know, especially a value for whether it's lifestyle, money, certain way that we're supposed to look or act. Um, so we pick up those messages in those three places, in my opinion, and we've got to be responsible for how we receive them and what we do with them.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I was listening to a podcast this morning on my way to the office and the um, conversation came up around abundance and money. And Ken Honda, who's a very well-known Japanese fellow who's written many books and was very successful financially, he said, even in our own homes when we were younger, if we wanted to take ballet lessons or piano lessons or be on the soccer team or be part of brownies or something. And our parents didn't have the resources for us to be able to do that because we didn't have the resources ourselves to understand that they just didn't have the money. We oftentimes identify that I'm not good enough to go get ballet lessons, to take piano lessons. My parents don't think I'm enough to be able to do that. So those interpretations at that really young age are really impactful. I am wondering when do you think or what you've experienced with some of the conversations you've had with others, at what age and how do we start to take responsibility for the meaning that we give to those interactions that we've had in our past so we can get over over those and move on with life in a really empowering way?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not sure if it's necessarily connected to age. I think it's more connected to pain. You know, when do we experience something that's so painful that requires us to say, what's not working here in my life and dig a little deeper? So that could be in your 20s or 30s if it's possibly a a dream that's unfulfilled. Maybe you're trying to get into a career or job or something that's not working, or maybe it's a relationship that goes sideways or a divorce, the loss of a child, um, and it's just weird how something as it may even feel disconnected from those uh challenges that you experience growing up, but it's triggering it in some way. So I would just say it's just whenever somebody experiences profound pain is when they have the opportunity to deal with that. Usually if everything's going great, Annie, nobody's thinking about what are the messages that I have that aren't working in my life. Everything's going okay. Um, it's just when something goes sideways. And and for most people, it's probably going to be in their 40s. You know, there's like this middle life start where it's like, okay, I've been married 10, 15 years. This is not going the way I wanted. My, my kids now are taking drugs or they're the job I liked, you know, now I hate it. Or, you know, there's just those kind of like once you're in something 10, 15, 20 years, things can start to unravel.
1: Right. I, and that's a, that's a wonderful segue into your own situation. In 2007, you got really burned out with what you were doing vocationally. 2008, you hit rock bottom. So will you walk me and our listeners through that time in your life, what you experienced, and then how did you kick yourself out of that? Because it can be easy to stay stuck there if we don't have the courage to have a close look at those situations in our lives.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, end of 2008 or 2007, I was really burned out after 10 years in ministry and the church that I was leading, I had started, we had three different locations, about 750 people in attendance. We started with just a dozen people 5 years prior. I had a dozen, you know, staff members and I was really stressed. At that time the economy was starting to dip and so finances were really starting to be strained. Um and I was uh feeling so overwhelmed. And yet I could not find a way to kind of walk away or transition that would save my, that would save face. Cause I had presented a very large vision of us having nine locations in these nine different area cities. And, um, so I started just unraveling, you know, I just started feeling like, Oh, I don't know what to do. I was on a, um, leading a team to India from our church. I don't know, there's 20, 25 people, something like that. And uh, I ended up um, on that trip connecting with a team member who happened to be one of my wife's best friends. And um, when we came back from that trip, uh, we ended up um, making a decision to leave our spouses and move into an apartment together. And it just, you know, saying it now, 12, 13 years later, it just sounds utterly ridiculous, but I had two kids. She had four kids. Um, and we, uh, communicated that to our spouses and I sent a resignation letter to the church and I just exploded my life. You know, I was just like, are you kidding me? What are you doing? Um, so we moved into an apartment together and I my head was spinning and I was trying to, you know, figure this out. And yet at the same time I'm experiencing the highest high of having an affair because it's, you know, so powerful, like a drug. And so I'm experiencing this high and I'm experiencing this low. I I generally kind of describe it as heaven and hell combined, you know, it's just this combination. And then, um, about 40 days later, she, I came home or actually I was at a, at a, uh, a lunch with a friend and I called her phone after I, uh, got done with the lunch and it was disconnected. And I knew something like, Whoa, something's wrong. And I rushed back to our apartment and the $8,000 diamond ring that I had, you know, purchased for her was on the kitchen table and uh, a necklace and all of her stuff was gone. She was just gone. And, uh, you know, the story goes on from there. I went to her house and, you know, it was just, it was just a mess. So, um, I ended up over the course of three days vacillating between functioning to curled up in a ball on the kitchen floor, just, a, an absolute disaster. And, um, my friends and my therapist was trying to get me to, I had three friends that stuck by me through this whole thing and a, a therapist. And they just said, Dave, you, you really need to check yourself in to a mental hospital. And that was like, no, there's no way I'm going to do that, Annie. Like, I am strong. I can get through this. I don't yeah. need that. Um, I was in a movie with two of my friends um, in Newport Beach, California. My car was about 20 minutes away in a neighboring city um, back at the apartment. And I'm sitting in this movie crying, and I'm telling, because they were just trying to distract me, right? Sure, and, yeah. I'm telling myself, if I could just get back to my car, I'll be safe. I just want to be inside my car. And so I left the movie. They didn't realize it. I start just bawling and I'm walking down Pacific Coast Highway. Uh, I walked all the way down to Pacific Coast Highway and then I started walking. And um, I'm looking for the tallest building that I could jump off of. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just looking for something and I'm going, how could I get to the top of that? I don't know what to do. And I thought, oh, no, I'm just going to get to my car. And then they called me and they're like, where are you? And then they ended up calling the police and one of the police guys, I knew him personally, I had like four police cars pull me over on Pacific coast highway, just walking. And my friends were by that time walking with me. And um, I talked my way out of it because I knew what to say as a pastor.
1: Sure.
0: I ended up um, like 24 hours later, I finally gave in and I was like, okay, I can't do this. I'm just an absolute disaster. My head was just a wreck and and it was going back and forth between i'm fine to the world is just crushed in on me so i ended up checking myself in long story short and it was the best thing i could do it was 3 days of you know kind of getting medicated and just in a sane place and even though i got out i still had 2 weeks of absolute disaster of not, I just didn't want to live. I had thrown everything away, my career, my education, my family, like, what am I doing? And the only thing, Annie, that prevented me from killing myself during that two weeks was that I didn't want my kids to have a legacy of suicide. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason why I didn't end my life. And I ended up coming to a conclusion. I remember on a Saturday morning, I called one of those friends and I said, uh, you know, I think, Today either is the day I end my life or I suck it up and just hopefully I'll find another, you know, spouse at some point, or I need to just apologize and beg my wife to take me back. And he said, okay, well, if we've got three options, let's hold off on number one of killing yourself. Okay. And you know, he got me <laughs> laughing. He's like, you got three. So let's hold off on that one. You know,
1: we'll exhaust everything else. And then we might take a yeah, visit on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's hold off on that one. So then, uh, and he's like, you know, and you're not in a place to be in any relationship with anybody. And yet, you know, you definitely don't want to be back with your wife. You know that, but she does deserve an apology. And it was like this eye-opening moment where I hadn't even thought about apologizing to her. And I'm like, wow, you are totally right. I do need to take responsibility for this. And I ended up uh, messaging her and we met later that day at a park. And I threw a lot of ums and ahs and tears and, you know, I just took complete responsibility for my actions. And by this time it had been about, you know, almost two months since, uh, uh, you know, I had, I had left and, um, it was, uh, I didn't ask her to take me back. I just took responsibility and I just said, Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm going to be the best, um, Uh, dad to our our kids. And I'm going to turn my heart toward you. I want to serve you if I can help you in any way. And from that day forward, I never wanted to kill myself again. It was weird. It was like this shift happened inside of me. And um, we ended up slowly connecting and going, we ended up going to therapy together and having lots of conversations about how we didn't want our life to be like it was before and how I was a workaholic and I needed to change things. And so, um, I, I apologize if you hear the dogs barking, it's my neighbor's dogs. Ironically, Annie, two dogs moved in next door recently and we've just had a tough time with the barking. What the heck? Um, so I, um, yeah, I just walked through the process with her and it was a long journey, you know, short in time, about six months that I was out of our home. I ended up moving back in, you know, about six months later and we had a different marriage. We chose to have a different marriage. Um, Rather than feeling like roommates, we really were partners. And so, we're, you know, coming up on 27 years of marriage, and um, we have a, we do have a different marriage now. And I really, I love being with my family. I love being with my kids, and I couldn't have said that before. Um, And I also, just as a side note, um, am still on 12 years later some antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. I ended up getting a brain scan through the Amen Clinic, Dr. Daniel Amen. He wrote a book Great. called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. Mm-hmm. And um, by recognizing some components of my brain that were very overactive, uh, I was able to kind of slow those down and just be able to be present with you and be present with others, be present with my family, rather than constantly thinking about all the other things that I needed to do. And those meds have, you know, changed my life. And I'm super thankful for it. Um, I don't, uh, you know, I I really wish I wouldn't have gone down that path, but um, it did create a sense of freedom inside me that I didn't have before. I've always been the ultra responsible person, only child, did the right thing, didn't drink, didn't have sex before marriage, didn't smoke, didn't chew, didn't go with girls who do, you know, all those things. And then it created like, oh, okay, you know what? I can do whatever I want, Annie. Annie. I have the freedom to live my life and do whatever I want, yes. but I also have responsibility. So, before I didn't have the freedom, I had all responsibility. Now, I through this process, I got the freedom, but I also said, okay, not everything's healthy. Not everything's helpful. Not everything's going to get me what I want. So, that's the combination of the freedom and responsibility. So.
1: Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that story. There was a lot of vulnerability in telling that. But I think that there will be some listeners out there that will find that inspiring to them because it's no secret to any of us that this past year, um, I call it the big reveal. It's having to go through really a global shutdown and deal with a global pandemic revealed where we as a planet and we as a society and we as individuals are dysfunctional. Mm. And so I'm sure a lot of, maybe not to the degree that you experienced it, but a lot of those emotions bubbled to the top because so many people had to really sit with themselves and sit with the person that they have been married to for 15 years and go, ah, this is uncomfortable. I don't like it. Or, you know, maybe the opposite happened, but being willing to have the awareness around it. And then once you have the awareness around it, being willing to take responsibility for it like you did. And like you said, with your wife, you just said, I never thought about apologizing. Just to say, gosh, you know, I'm sorry. This this had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with me. And here's what I'm willing to do in order to serve you and be present for our children and for... However we end up, I'm interested in your kids were fairly young at that time if they've had any questions around about that time because there's folks out there listening that probably have kids around that they'll they'll have to probably explain a situation to and what your experience was with that and how you really kind of mended that for them as well.
0: Yeah, they were uh, nine and I think our son was five. Or six at the time. So he had less of an awareness to kind of what was going on, but my daughter was very impacted and, you know, upset. Um, we've always had an open dialogue about it. So even back then, you know, it was, dad was making some very, uh, unhelpful and poor choices and, um, we talked about it, you know, so if they if they ever wanted to talk about it, if they ever had a question they were welcome to, to ask. And so it's not necessarily a, it's not a taboo subject in our home. Like we could talk about it, you know, right now, or, you know, some things will trigger my wife or something or even the woman's name will come up because we'll be at a restaurant and the server walks up and she's like, hi, my name is, and you know, Laura looks at me and I'm like, Oh, sorry. You know, it's like forever. That name will be a trigger. It's like crap, you know? Um, so those things are just something that's open i don't I would anticipate as they get older and perhaps they get married, you know other conversations will happen, but I'm happy that my wife was willing to not make it a you know a taboo subject but a yeah, and i think
1: subject. yeah, I think that's important because, as we talked about in the beginning of this whole conversation, those kids could look at that situation and and in their mind because they don't have the resources to know better, say, I'm not enough. Therefore, dad left me. Right. We're not enough. Therefore dad left mom and us with mom yep. and those feelings of not enoughness could have started there. If you totally. have those open conversations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's so, it's, it is very painful. I ended up, I wrote a memoir about the whole experience and, um, that book has been read by a lot of people who are either in affairs or coming out of affairs. Mm -hmm. And, um, I wrote it from the perspective of here's what I experienced. And I didn't make the caveats constantly with, Hey, I know this was wrong. I just said, this is what I, this is what the experience was. And then Mm -hmm. I talked about how the resolution and the transformation. And, um, I've talked with so many men and women who have gone through that. And unless you've gone through that process, it's hard for you to understand the, uh, how magnetic that experience is and how soul crushing it is, you know, in a combination. Like, it's just like my soul is just fracturing right now and it's the time of my life and it just, it's, it's just, it's horrible and it's, and it's awesome you know, it's just people don't understand. And so right. when you find somebody who understands and you're able to go, okay, yes. And I don't want to do that again because that is so destructive to people mm-hmm. and myself and my soul. So.
1: And I think having conversations like you and I are having right now and you writing your memoir, I went through a very painful coming apart of a relationship. I was with this person for 12 years and and that came apart and I felt very much what it sounds like you experienced i didn't feel safe anywhere i didn't want to go out into the world i felt so vulnerable and so afraid it was all i could do to encourage myself to get in my truck and drive to my office every day and Mm. then when i got to my office i didn't want to interact with everybody because i was so i felt i wasn't but i felt so broken so the point in us having this conversation and me saying that is if there's folks out there who are experiencing these things that's normal. Yes. Be patient with yourself, get the help you need, get the support you need to work those situations out and start to know that you are enough. So I want to go on, you break your, I've, I've read your book. It's brilliant book. It gives all kinds of useful tools and tips to folks. And you, you've kind of split it up into three different areas. We, you talked about embracing your true identity and we talked about the, I am enough part of that. But in your part of the book called Uncovering Your Uniqueness, you talk about that we all have superpowers. Can you talk to us about how, how do we discover what our superpowers are?
0: Yeah. So your superpowers are unique to you. You know, every, everyone has superpowers. And so one of the aspects of your superpowers is your personality, like your unique wiring. You have a unique way of seeing the world that um, I don't have. You know what I mean, and the more you embrace that, uh, that personality or what I call wiring, um, you will rather than seeing it as quirky or too much or awkward, just go no, 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 this is who this is who I'm made to be. Mm -hmm. Like Amy, you just interacting with you a little bit, I'm like, man, this woman is kick ass. Like she, she will she will make things happen, and yet she's loving, and so she's got this interesting personality. How do you get to know your personality? Well, there's lots of different tools. There's the Myers-Briggs, there's the Enneagram, there's the Berkman. Um, the Berkman is something that I give to people in our Rise Up Business Academy to get to know you and what your unique, you know, strengths are. The other is your life story, that you have a unique story of life that no one else has. You know, I'm an only child people go, well, what is it like being an only child? Did you miss having, I'm like, I don't know. It's just what I, what I was. Like, I didn't miss having siblings. That's part of my life story. Part of my life story is I moved from Kentucky to California when I was 16 and I had to figure out, man, I had a Southern accent and I dressed different. And then all of a sudden I was around all these beach people. And that's part of my life story, part of the grit mm-hmm. of who I am, you know? So your unique life story, the highs and lows, the twists and turns, those shape your superpowers the fact that you have gone through a relationship that you cherished that you lost after 12 years you know that's part of your life story that's actually a superpower that you have Mm -hmm. you were able to like navigate through that and that you're able to connect with other people who have gone through that yeah
1: yeah and I think for me in my experience and boy, do I have a lot to learn from you and everybody that I come in contact with every day. I, I learn something from everybody every day and I love that. That's that's what I my definition of success is I learn something new every day and I, I'm 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 hyper successful, trust me, because I learn a lot every day. But I think in, in telling our life story, it's I found it's important not to compare ourselves to others because I think we can get stuck in that rut of, well, yeah, I have a life story, but theirs is so much better. Theirs is so much more exciting. Theirs is so much more adventurous. In, instead of just really hunkering down and going, no, but this is my story. And yes. I remind myself of that a lot. I was walking around my house last night and I was thinking about all these things I needed to go do. And I said to myself, Annie, pause, that also important pause between stimulation and response that most of the time we don't take. It's usually ready, fire, forgot to aim. Bullet's gone, can't take it back, right? But I stopped myself in that moment and I said, I want you to walk around your home. I have a beautiful home, I'm very fortunate. And I want you to recognize and be aware of all that you have and stop being focused on things you haven't done yet or things you think you don't have yet. And it's, it's, that's an easy trap to get caught in because we're human. Do you find the same thing? Have you found the same thing in your experience of
0: oh, <laughs> just figuring
1: this thing out called life?
0: Yeah, comparison. I think the, the quote is, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. You know, that when I start comparing who I am, and it's so easy because prior to the internet, you only could compare pe- to yourself to people kind of like locally, maybe in a magazine or newspaper. Now that we have the internet, yeah. i You've got an opportunity to compare yourself to everybody.
1: All day, every day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And what's ironic is you can compare yourself up and compare yourself down. So meaning if I'm feeling bad, I can actually make myself feel worse by comparing (laughs) myself to you to go, man, look at how big her following is and what she's got and her podcast. You know, that makes me feel worse. Or if I'm feeling bad and want to make myself feel better, I can compare myself down, like downward to the people that are below me right? And then I can make myself feel it's just not helpful. None of that stuff's helpful. Yes, it's tempting. Yes, we all do it at some level. But how do we just focus on why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my part in the world? What am I excited about? What are my superpowers? What is my life story? What are my strengths? What's my wiring my, my personality? And how can I use that to do what I want to do? Hey, and you know what? Um, we'll see what the results are. I've got, I've got vision for the results but I can't control the results. I can just keep doing my part each and every day. That that to me cultivates peace. And that's the thing that was missing in my life when I was a workaholic is because I thought if I could just get that book deal, if I could just, like, I was like, oh my gosh, I want a book deal. I was so close to getting a book deal on my very first book when I was a pastor. And they ended up passing on it for this other thing that was too similar. And then I was like, you know, why do I need a book deal to be like enough? If I've got a vision or a message, I just put it out myself. And then I started finding peace, especially 12 years ago, to go, okay, my value is not on performance or productivity anymore. I love those things. It's super fun. My value is on peace. Mm -hmm. So comparing doesn't give me peace. Yes. It gives me a sense of less than or not enough Mm -hmm. or I'm not valued or I'm not loved you know what? I just got to do my part. And that's the difference between also sales and service, right? If I'm focused on performance, you know, uh, productivity and sales, if I'm in a business, yes, I need to do that. I want to grow the business. But if my heart is really to serve, if I'm coming from a place of service, now I'm not worried about comparing because I'm not, I'm just, Hey, how can I help you? Right. And now I'm feeling peaceful in the process.
1: Yeah, and that's what I love about the guest I get to have on my podcast is we have a lot of conversation around, and I I talk a lot in some of the coursework that I do with folks, is getting to that place where you embrace your own authenticity, where you're just so at home with who you are, that it doesn't matter if you have one follower, zero followers, nine million followers, none of that really matters as long as you, as you just stated, are at peace right here. Mm-hmm. I, I call it, the title of my book, Keep Your Ass in the Saddle. When I'm veering off into the ditch, and it's usually fear-driven,
0: yeah.
1: I call I, I say, my life changed the day I made fear my best friend. It's, mm. Fear fear usually raises its le- ugly head. You think you've wrestled it down. You've mounted it over the fireplace. You come out of your bedroom the next morning, and there it is again. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, we, didn't we work this out yesterday? But I, I finally said, okay, I'm just going to thank fear. Because every time fear shows up, it's reminding me that my ass is not in the saddle. I'm not present. I'm, I'm wandering off in my mind, and I'm thinking about yesterday and wondering what's happened tomorrow, and there's no peace there for me. So the peace comes, go back home, Annie. And so I say to fear every time it comes up, and it comes up, thank you. And that allows me to embrace and be comfortable with, and really nurture that authenticity that we were talking about. Mm. Another thing you talk about in your book, and I I thought this was brilliant, and I'd like you to share this with our listeners as well: the importance of the question "What if?" Talk talk to us about that.
0: Yeah. So, oftentimes we'll ask the question "What if?" looking backward in our life and (coughs) thinking, "What if I?" Wouldn't have had that affair? What if I wouldn't have become a pastor? What if I would have gone to medical school? Or what if I actually, what if I would have been a photographer? I was a photographer all through high school and college, and I was wanting to be a Sports Illustrated photographer. What if I would have done that? Then would my life be so much better. But I want us and I want myself to turn that what if question to the future and go, what if, and then allow an openness of what the possibilities are if we have come to a place of stuckness in our life most of us have quit dreaming or hoping for something in the future it's just this feeling of i can't get out of this it's never going to get any better this is all that i've this is this is what i'm stuck with right versus what if hey, what if you could actually start to live out that dream that you have? What if that desire for a great relationship, you don't need to have a different relationship, you could actually transform the one you have. What if you could have a better relationship with your kids and that means that, well, okay, what if, what if, what if, these are all beautiful things. It starts to open up our mind to possibilities. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is when we then go, we start editing and go, no, I can't do that. That's not possible. I've got too many, I don't have enough money. They, they wouldn't be interested, whatever the hurdles are stay in that posture of what if what are the possibilities and and be willing to take small steps toward the what if like so many times we have a big dream which is great but how can you just start out that right now small with the resources you have you have access to all the resources you need to live out this dream but just like might be hey i want to open up a restaurant okay great well what would that look like to start uh just feeding your friends and making it feel like a restaurant, have a menu and then have somebody, you know, a friend cooking and have like create this little environment in your home, like a pop-up restaurant. That's the beginning, right? right? Don't stop. Don't wait until you have, you know, the the brick and mortar, you know, restaurant to begin your dream. Start the dream now. That's what, what if kind of, I hope opens up the possibilities in our mind.
1: Yeah. That's the other reason I love to have these conversations on on podcasts because I have, I don't know, you probably have many more. I have at least that I can think of right off the top of my head here, four 12-year overnight successes under my belt. Wow, yeah. You know, things don't happen overnight. Yeah. One of the businesses we worked on for 12 years, didn't pay <laughs> ourselves, invested in it, did all the shipping, did all the everything in it until we made one penny out of, of it. Wow and I think we've become a society of I want it now it's mm-hmm. we're a drive through society, and so I would encourage, and as i 'm sure you would our audience and my listeners, your listeners that be patient with yourself. all good things come in due time, and usually the overnight successes are become the overnight flops too so <laughs> just to have just to have enough um, grittiness you use that word earlier and and stick to to know that those steps you talked about one foot in front of the other day after day it's kind of like you have a tree in your backyard and you have an axe and you go out there every day consistently every day five whacks at the tree right and you start to make a little bit of a dent and all of a sudden it might be day 109 that the fifth whack, the tree finally falls over. And that was because you were consistent, you used the right tools, you showed up every day, you were focused. And so that's kind of an odd metaphorical story to make the point of, if we want something bad enough, there's plenty of resources, as you just mentioned, out there. It's a matter of us taking those steps each and every day on a consistent basis and being in action about it. It's one thing to dream you want to do something. It's another thing to get your ass in gear and start doing something about it. Right. <laughs> that's
0: right. That's right. And there are very few people, very few people that I come across that have that, that grit, that determination, that resilience, and that tenacity to do it. You know, it is, um, it is easier to show up to a job and have somebody else tell you what to do and yes. just be mindless and then live for the weekend. Right. But if you have a hope, if you have a dream, if you have something that you want to accomplish, and that doesn't have to be a business. It could be. It could be a nonprofit. It could be something you want to do: renovating a home, it could be transforming a car, it could be whatever it is. It requires a vision, a mental picture of a preferable future, what you want to see in the end, and then it requires step by step, you know, consistency to like stick with it. And it is it is uncomfortable. It is challenging, especially for those of us who want quick results. I want quick yeah. results, you know. Yeah but it, it requires tenacity.
1: Well, and I think that your, your coaching or your co- comments on having that vision, I do that a lot. I, I see as if I'm watching a movie, what I'm wearing and what the smells are and what the room looks like or what the vehicle looks like or who's in the room with me. And yeah. And then I, it, then I take it the next step for me, which has been, I found to be important is, what does that feel like?
0: Sure. Yeah. What
1: would that feel like? And then my big challenge is, Stay in that feeling. Regardless of what happens, stay in that feeling. Because, you know, I, I might be this might be one of my superpowers because I'm a little quirky, because I I have a great deal of belief in quantum physics. The only thing that's holding us together is some stuff that's vibrating really, really fast. Wow. And like vibration attracts like vibration. So if I can remain in that feeling of whatever it is for that vision I have, that will help, you know things be attracted to me that will help me accomplish that. And I think people lose track of that sometimes. Then they start to, uh, they give up or they slump over and they start to act like that's never going to happen for me. And then guess what? You're right. It won't. (laughs) I want to switch if you don't mind now to your, your um, filmmaking and your documentaries. And I had the chance and I'm going to put this in the show notes for our listeners to watch your documentary. It's called in plain sight where you talk to six female abolitionists who have created safe houses for the young women. And I don't, I don't know, you'll have to tell me this, I didn't notice that there were any young fellows in this particular documentary who have been sex trafficked in our country. And you, it, it, to the extent that you would like to share statistics and facts and whatnot, I would be happy for you to do that because it is alarming to me what's going on out there, as you say, in plain sight. And I don't let, think a lot of people are aware of that. And I want to commend you for putting the time and effort and energy into seeking these women out and learning more about it and exposing what's going on in our own country.
0: Sure, sure. I had um, just the honor ramp because it's a bit of a segue, like, what the heck? Why is this guy doing films? But I had had a desire to draw attention to orphans in India. And so a buddy and I ended up creating a documentary on orphans in India called Mother India. Um, It's available on Amazon still. It was on Netflix for two years, 2012, 2014. And I thought, well, man, if I could do that and it was on Netflix, this must be easy. Like, let's just do this again, you know? So I ended up doing a film. I went back to the same distribution company and said, I'd like to do a film on sex trafficking in the United States. I don't want to sexualize it. I want it just to be more focused on solutions. And so they agreed. And so we ended up, as you mentioned, connecting with six women around the United States and um you know it is uh it is an issue that has become more uh, people have become more aware of it in recent years um i think a lot of people think oh my gosh my kid's going to get snatched up off the street and that's just not how it happens generally it's mm-hmm. generally um generally a female it can be male but generally a female who is um a runaway uh she's on the street by herself she gets coaxed into a relationship with someone who takes care of her you know and and makes her feel Makes her feel valued enough, mm-hmm. loved, right, and then uh, she's preyed upon in that way, and then slowly, you know, they they um, they coach them in order to be uh, turned out, as as they say, um, so that they they sell them uh, to for sex. Um, so it's very sad. It's a very sad situation, and um, it generally is among young women who are really in a tough position. You know, they don't have a family environment. They have either been kicked out or run away or have drug addictions or whatever. And um, uh, so the film walks through that of how it happens. And then we filmed it in Nashville, Baltimore, Dallas, Houston, uh, Little Rock. Um, And I think that, that covers them all. Oh, Sacramento. And, um, and I had the privilege of interviewing multiple survivors Uh, And every time I did that, I'd come home from one of those filming trips and I would just be a wreck, you know, to hear what happened to them and just I'd have to process it and and recognize that there are people that are in the trenches every day, not only rescuing law enforcement, FBI, but also um, nonprofits who are helping rehabilitate them. And uh, it's very, very hard. Much of the shift in since we made that film has gone in the nonprofit world from rehabilitation to prevention because the recidivism rate is so high. Once someone is just broken, you know, they are just broken down. And so it's, it's, I know this sounds horrible, but it's a better investment of time and money to prevent this from happening, i.e. helping young women who are in at-risk situations um, recognize that they are valued, that they are enough, and that they are loved, right? Because once, if you feel valued enough and loved, nobody's going to, you know, coach you into or trick you into doing something like that. But you're like, what are you, crazy? You know, um, and that's the goal. Help people right. feel their value, and then that won't happen. Um, ultimately, the, the biggest way to, people ask me, well, how can we stop sex trafficking in the United States? And I go, well, there's really um, two ways. Uh, number one, uh, don't look at porn because porn is an on-ramp to wanting to purchase sex, um, especially among men. So it, it becomes not enough to look at it on a screen or in a magazine. You want to actually experience this, right? So number one, don't look at porn and don't have porn in your in your household. Um, and then the second is, um, you know, don't um, – uh, basically don't allow your kids – to uh, in a situation where they would be sexually uh, molested. Because oftentimes the um, women who are trafficked have had a boundary that has been broken in terms of sexual, you know, uh, sexuality that they have a hard time differentiating what's appropriate or not appropriate. Obviously, if you're a parent, you can't control that all the time, but you, know, you can set boundaries to know where your kids are and who they're with and so forth. And then the third is don't buy sex. Like, if you're a guy, like, just don't buy sex, then this would go away. You're like, it's a tricky industry because there are so many people, especially on the progressive left, that would say, you know, they need to have the privilege of being able to do whatever they want to do in terms of selling their, their bodies. Um, from the research that I've seen, it's very few women that want to be doing that. You know, they are in a situation where they are desperate Either desperate for love, desperate for money, desperate for drugs, desperate for safety, um, and and that's the reason why they're they're having to do this. So, uh, but the film is it's very eye opening. People can watch it on Amazon, and it's um, uh, and it's hopeful because there are people that are doing things about it.
1: Yeah, thanks for sharing that, and once again, thanks for doing the film. I haven't had the opportunity to look at your other films yet, but I will. I'm curious in the conversations you had with these mostly females it sounds like for us that are you know the whole name of your documentary is in plain sight these people are right under our noses every day did they give you any indication what a person like me just operating in the world could see signs of that i might say oh my that person looks like they could use help or oh gosh that situation doesn't seem right even in our own neighborhoods and our own communities Are, are there, is there anything that we could you know kind of open our eyes a little bit more and help if we could or at least contact people who could
0: yeah I mean uh, there is a national sex trafficking hotline I don't have the number you know on me but people can google it and find it very easily it's best to call that number versus the local police because oftentimes local police are not equipped um, to handle the situation right um, but if you you know see something that looks uh Different somebody who's very young, you know, maybe, you know, under eighteen or even in her early twenties that is with someone who seems to be dominating them in some way. Um, I saw that here in my own neighborhood when I was doing the film. It was so weird. I saw, you know, these two blonde girls together, and it just did not sit right with me. And um, I ended up uh, there was a website at the time. This was a number of years ago called Backpage. Um, and I ended up finding the girls They're on Backpage. And I called National, National sex Trafficking Hotline, got them involved. So you just be aware. But the main thing is, rather than trying to rescue people, it's, you know, my encouragement is take care of your own kids yes. and love them. And don't look right. at porn. And don't buy sex. And because if you're, if you're moving toward porn or moving to buy sex, there's something that's missing within you, back to compensating behaviors, right? You're not feeling whole or enough or loved. And so let's do the deep work of, of finding health and restoration.
1: Yeah, very good. Thank you for talking about that. Um, take a few minutes, if you will, talk to us about your, um, all your businesses. You have the podcast and you also have your um, Rise Up Creatives which I love the concept that people can um, have almost at the ready ways that they can enhance their digital presence, if, if you will. And uh, anything else that you're up to that the listeners should go check out?
0: Yeah. The last couple of years, I've just dedicated my life to championing women and specifically female entrepreneurs and leaders. We've had over 180 episodes, as you mentioned, on Inspiration Rising featuring female entrepreneurs. And um, uh, the primary uh, way that I love to help people now is through this business called Rise of Creatives. We provide uh, done-for-you social media resources that really cut down on time and help you stand out on social media. Whether you're, you know, you have, uh, you're a coach or a consultant or a light worker or a course creator, some sort of business, we provide 31 um, lifestyle images and 31 customizable captions every single month, and we have a, a whole suite of templates in our graphic design studio to help you post on social media, lead magnets, uh, media kits, whatever it might be. Um, so people can check it out at riseupcreatives.com. Um, matter of fact, if they want to if this is okay, I'll I'll give them uh, kind of a behind the scenes link for a seven day free trial. And um, if they go to riseupcreatives.com slash join, riseupcreatives.com slash join, there's no link on our website that gives you that seven day free trial, but you can check it out for seven days for absolutely free.
1: Thank you. I'll put that in the show notes so people can take advantage of that. I looked at it and it's, it's beautifully done. And I think, I don't know about most entrepreneurs out there, but this attention to social media and keeping yourself current and whatnot, that could be a full-time job. And I think uh, oftentimes our, our time could be used doing more valuable things and figuring out how to make the next pretty post for Facebook. Exactly. A couple more things. What would have been good for me to ask you that I didn't, because I didn't know to ask you the question that you'd like to share with us.
0: Hmm. Well, uh you know, I think a question of why do I do what I do, you know, of all of the all of the things that I've done, um and uh, and that's really because I believe that in every single person there is a dream, there's a hope, there's something that they want to accomplish. There's something that they haven't done and something's holding them back. They don't feel valued, they don't feel enough, they don't feel loved or whatever. And it's like I love to be able to kind of hone in on what that is within people and then say, no, 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 you can do it. And here are the steps, like step-by-step, you can do whatever it is that's in your heart. It's weird. As human beings, we all have these little hopes and dreams that sometimes we don't wanna share. And it could be so simple. Like I've always wanted to own this kind of car or I've always wanted to go on this trip or I've always wanted to start this business or I wanna start this nonprofit. It's like, great, you can. Yeah. Like, that's totally possible. And I love helping people see the possibility for that in their life.
1: Yeah, good for you. You're, you're a good soldier. You're a good citizen on this planet. Um, last question, what's next for you?
0: Mm, next, you know, my focus really is on Rise of Creatives and helping, you know, entrepreneurs, especially female entrepreneurs, um, save time and stand out on social media. Because if I can help them save time doing that, that means they'll be freed up, as you said, to either serve more clients, reach more people, have more time with their family, whatever it might be. So I love being able to serve people through that resource.
1: Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. With all the things you have, you have a very full plate. And I know you devote a lot of time to spending time with your family and helping all these entrepreneurs, particularly the women out there. Um, Thanks for all that you do. We appreciate that. Thank you for spending time with me today. I certainly appreciate that. And I will put all of your links in the show notes so our audience can go have a look at all the opportunities that you've presented them with today and look at your films and learn about your books and look up Rise Creatives and get the seven-day free trial. There's a lot of good stuff here, you guys, so take advantage of it. And we will talk to you all again soon. Have a great day.
0: Hey, congrats on listening to another episode of Inspiration Rising. Why congrats? because you're pouring education and inspiration into your mind and heart. And that's something we all need if we're going to grow our businesses and reach our goals in life. Now, if you enjoy Inspiration Rising, do us a favor. Share it with a friend. Take a screenshot of your favorite episode and text it to them. Tell them to search for Inspiration Rising on their favorite podcast app and click subscribe. And if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for Inspo Text That's our daily inspirational text messages. Just text me right now at 949-401-6090. That's 949-401-6090. Just say, hey, Dave, what's up? You'll get an automated reply with a link where you can add yourself as a contact. And of course, you can always unsubscribe. I want you to know today that you're inspired, empowered, and loved not because of the way you feel or what anyone else says about you, but because that's your true identity.